K-Fresh. We are on season two now. Yes, season premiere of season two. We got all sorts of new flavor for you for this new season. Um, I took a little break from doing the podcast for the summer because first I got got into a little, you know, I got a little sick. Uh, apparently I was extremely low in vitamin D and that was what was causing me to be so sleepy and exhausted and just a downright slug for a little while while I was finishing up those you know, last episodes I was doing. Uh, so I was able to get straight on that. I'm feeling a lot better now. And then I was doing a lot of stuff during this uh, summertime. So I uh, decided to just, you know, take a break and enjoy my summer. I went to a lot of music festivals, rock festivals out of town. Uh, a bunch of indie wrestling organizations had some really amazing shows uh, this summer. Uh, AEW in Chicago, AIW in Cleveland. Uh, got to see... Uh, Johnny Gargano's farewell show at AIW. Um, also uh, went to UFC 203 in Cleveland. Stipe Miocic uh, defended his uh, belt there against uh, Overeem, and the crowd went nuts, you know. And that was also the same night as CM Punk's really sad debut in UFC. But I was there to, you know, root him on, and I still got mad respect that he went through all that to do it. Uh, but, you know, that was basically my summer. I wish I could just do a whole whole episode talking about my summer, but no, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. I got all sorts of new flavor. I got a lot of stuff to talk about uh, for this first episode. I have a good friend of mine. He's like a brother to me. He's, uh, he's a big uh, name from in uh, Detroit hip-hop, but now he's an L.A. transplant. He's been out there for over 10 years. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, DJ House Shoes. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, growing up and getting into hip-hop about um, getting into the Detroit hip-hop scene, and also, you know, talk about his uh, Street Corner music uh, uh, music label and uh, being a father, you know. So, you know, we have, uh, it's going to be two parts, though. I got the first part this week, and then uh, next week, th- next week the segment will be more about the Street Corner music uh, catalog and everything around that. But then also uh, this week we have, uh, I have a new segment. It's called Knuckle Up, and it's going to be a discussion each week about uh, basically about music and mainly uh, MMA, combat sports, uh, and uh, pro wrestling. And I'm going to do it with a friend of mine. He goes by the name of V Styles. He's a Detroit hip hop artist and a, a big pro wrestling and MMA connoisseur and uh, a proud Marine. 
And he's he's such a good dude. Uh, he's very civil and very mature in talking about these things and very knowledgeable. He has a great perspective on everything. And that's why I wanted to do, do the segment with him. I wanted somebody to be able to talk wrestling and MMA and even music because we both come from the same uh, Detroit hip-hop scene. So we have... I have a lot in common with this dude, so I'm, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this uh, segment with him. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, we got a whole lot of podcasts, a whole lot of things to talk about. We're going to have a whole lot of things to talk about each and every week. Uh, so I'm super excited to be back, and I'm super excited that we got all this new flavor. Uh, and before we go, I want to give a shout-out to uh, some other friends of mine, uh, Knox Money, Shimmy Bango, and Foul Mouth for uh, hooking me up with a fresh new uh, theme song for the uh, podcast and hopefully i'll be able to uh release the whole uh, song to you i just took a you know a snippet of it for the because i don't want to like give you a four minute intro to the uh to the podcast uh so i'll let you know when we uh if we can drop the whole uh song really soon uh aside from that uh Follow us on our social media. There's uh, on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast, uh, give us a like on there and comment on anything you want over there. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm, uh, we're at Fresh is the Word 1. That's Fresh is the Word and the number 1. Uh, so uh, give us a follow on those. And uh, I'm going to, if you, if you want to help support the podcast, uh, you can go to the website, which is freshisthepodcast.com, which I just redesigned so it looks super fresh and uh, go to support the podcast and use the amazon link on there if you want to uh if you're purchasing anything on amazon and it won't change anything on your end it'll they'll just uh shoot some pennies back for me and uh there's a paypal link if you want to shoot any donations my way i'm going to try to set up a patreon page too with some fresh prizes or services or shouts something we'll figure it out um so you there's many ways you can support the podcast. Hopefully, um, I'll have some merch maybe in the uh, future, maybe some T-shirts or hats. I don't know. Be on the lookout. You know, stay tuned to you know freshisthepodcast.com because um, I'm also thinking about doing some uh, written content on there, uh, just kind of diving deep into other things that we might have talked about on podcast, might not have talked about on the podcast, but thoughts on my mind, you know, and even some a weekly or monthly something. Um, just a new music thing too. Like I want to drop some new music that's uh, run across my inbox. So be on the lookout that too. You know, there's a lot of freshness coming on with the Fresh is the Word podcast this season. So uh, that's uh, get into the uh, first part of the the interview with House Shoes right now. All right, Shoes. The other night, man, we went out after uh, the Chains party at uh, Paramita, and you spent fifty three forty at. White Castle, how the fuck did that happen? <clears throat> That's just fucking ignorant, man. It was just way overboard, <laughs> you know? Just like a lot of shit that I do. Uh, yeah, they had all this shit tonight. They had, like, chicken and waffle sandwiches, and fried macaroni and cheese bites, and corn dog bites, and all these wonderful creations that, you know, we don't have White Castle in L.A., so I just kept buying shit, and they was like, yo, it's $53.40, and God damn, that's definitely a record. We broke. We used to break thirty dollars all the time, getting like a crave case, and <laughs> cheese sticks, and chicken rings. I ain't even touched the cheese sticks the other night. I got a sack of cheese sticks. Yeah, that's ridiculous, man. Fifty-three forty, the new world record. 
for three men. <laughs> I think me and Lito's was at the most twelve dollars. <laughs> what I get? I got like ten cheeseburgers, chicken uh, chicken rings, cheese sticks, three uh, chicken and waffle sandwiches, macaroni and cheese bites, corn dog bites. My fuckers didn't even get a drink, and it was fifty three forty. Yeah, the people behind us were pissed. Oh, <laughs> they're like, hurry up! And like, while we were actually at the uh, the window getting our food because it's so long, they were actually serving the people behind us. Oh, wow! In the other window. Wow! <laughs> God damn, it's a lot of food. <laughs> Ridiculous, man. Jesus. Yeah. Then then I posted it online, and everybody's like, "Yeah, that's about right." <laughs> that's yeah. standard. Yeah, we used to go hard on White Castle back after the Buddha Lounge every time. Crave case and just throw the boxes. It would always be like someone would lay down on the floor and we'd just be throwing the boxes and they'd form like a chalk outline around a motherfucker of White Castle uh, cheeseburger boxes. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yep. <laughs> the old house on the east side upstairs, yep. Crazy. Yeah, and you got a chance to, you know, eat a lot of uh, Lafayette Coney Island this yep. weekend also. Yep, been doing that up. Coney's and Loose's. Uh, chili cheese fries, burners. Yeah, it's good to be back, man. It's good to be back in Detroit. All right, all right. Let's 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 go all the way back. Let's go way back to to when you were a kid. Back in time. Back in time, man. What sort of a kid were you? I was a fucking good kid, man. I was a real good kid. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, you know, fucking. I don't know. My mom. You know, I grew up in Southfield, so you know it was a great, great time to grow up there. It's very uh, diverse. You know, you have blacks, whites, Arabs, Asians, Jews, Muslims, any any kind of person you would you could grow up around. You know, you were exposed to everybody. So I grew up not feeling any kind of way about. There was nothing really that foreign to me. You know, we all grew up in the same spot. You know, it's cool. So it was never no like dumb shit. No xenophobia. My mom was a shit for that. Uh, yeah, man. I was a good kid. So, you know, as a, as a baby, I was, you know, I was I was a fantastic child. <laughs> never, you know, never, never, uh, you know, she could take me out places. I wouldn't go crazy. No meltdowns in public and shit. Yeah, man, always, you know, my folks divorced when I was early. I'd go see my pops on the weekend. He started taking me to the record store. That's how I got introduced to music. Peaches Records out in Dearborn. First record store I ever used to go to. We'd go there every Saturday. Yeah, yeah man, it was good. My childhood was good. Grew up in uh, Lathrop Village, 11 and a half miles Southfield, about three miles north of, uh, well, three miles, yeah, north of the, of the uh, you know, of Detroit. Used to help my mom. She worked at a doctor's office on Eight Mile, so I'd go and help them. I'd take like the blood samples, the urine samples, down to the lab. And the doctor give me some money every weekend. And once again, being exposed to, you know, Detroit folk, so it was no like, it's just no fear. My mom took care of all that shit, so I had no reason to like fear any anything or anybody. Just showing you that we all the fucking same person. I really appreciate it. It's probably the most important thing in regards to my upbringing was how my mother did that. You know, I'm very appreciative. 
Yeah, that's kind of a thing that sort of happens around from where from like the whole eight mile thing. Yeah. Where <coughs> people won't look on the other side of that. That's how a lot of us grew up. Like, right. People won't look on the other side of eight mile. True. To 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 see what's over there, you know. They're right. scared of it, you know. Yeah. Hell yeah. So if you know if you when you're able to sort of break out and be like, okay, there's stuff that goes on there, but it's not that scary. There's good people yeah. over there, you yeah. know. Right. Hell there's yeah. good things to learn about, you know. Yeah, definitely. It ain't, it's people are people, man. Like ain't shit to be afraid of. Nothing to fear but fear itself. If you're a coward, I've never been a coward, you know. What was like uh, when you started going to you know record stores and stuff? You know, what, what was like some of the earliest records that you remember buying? Uh, the first record I ever bought on vinyl on some rap shit LP was uh, Skinny Boys Weightless. <laughs> nice. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I remember like you know Fat Boys tapes Run DMC. I remember buying, I remember buying Houdini, uh, Back in Black. I bought that. We we went to Toronto. I bought that out there. I remember buying uh, me and my father and my brother. We had went to Florida to see some relatives down there, like my grandparents and shit. And we stopped at like an outlet mall or some shit. And I remember buying Breaking Adams there. I remember hearing fucking, you know, this is damn near 25 years ago, hearing just a friendly game of baseball for the first <laughs> time. And that shit changed. Like, I was like, damn, like. Motherfuckers make songs like this. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Right. Um, yeah, you know, Public Enemy, 12 Inches, all that shit. I remember buying, uh, remember when they started putting the parental advisory joints on the album. I remember, you know, I used to get a lot of my shit from Musicland at, uh, next to Farmer Jack, like 11 and a half and uh, a 12 mile Southfield, 12 and a half mile Southfield. It's like a strip mall. And this chick, Martine, she was like the manager. She'd always be there, and she really tightened me up on a lot of shit back in the day. Big shouts to Martine. She's still around. Um, yeah, she she definitely helped shape my ear. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, Ice Cube. Fucking, it was so much, so many flavors back then. You know, X Clan. Fucking crazy shit all kinds of records I remember the first record that I ever bought like first hip hop record I ever bought on vinyl was Run DMC's Kings of Rock and I got it at a church like flea market oh wow for like a quarter wow it was like in Hazel Park or some shit like that <laughs> and I was just going through the records and I was like ooh cool like that right right I was, I was, I was a teenager I'd already had a bunch of records I got from my parents right that was all like Classic rock and soul stuff and everything. and shit. Yeah, right. Jimi Hendrix, Al Green, Where? Isaac Hayes, and stuff like that. Dope. But 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 that Run DMC record was the first, like record that I actually, you know, bought. And then like, on vinyl. Then I started going to like, uh, shortly after going to like Melodies and Memories and getting stuff there. Where? Record time. Oh, so you had been shopping there. At those two spots. Yeah, a little uh, bit, a little, a little bit before I met you. Word. Probably maybe for like a year or so before, before I met you. What was that other spot down on Gratiot with like all the ICP shit? Oh, hot hits. Yeah, hot hits. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but I was saying I remember when they started putting the parental advisory shit on the records. Like another thing, my mom, like God bless, and my dad, they would take me, like whatever I, you know. They knew I loved music. Yeah. And they grew up through that shit too. You know, motherfuckers cussing our records. It ain't no big deal. 
Yeah, I remember when uh, I went to get LL Cool J bad on vinyl, and they was like, you got to have your mom now. You got to have one of your parents now. So I went home, got my mom. She went right back up there with me. I remember it was like snowing and shit. I remember buying a fucking paid them full tape. Crazy. I remember when I was coming up buying tapes, I never really, um, you know, got stopped from buying parental advisory stuff. Right. Around the time when I was like a teenager and stuff. I remember one time though, they were, they were fronting on me at record time once. Where? <laughs> like, you remember what table it was? I remember it was um Esham shit or something? No, it was like it was a couple it was like two shorts, uh uh-huh. getting where you fit in. <laughs> word, and word. uh maybe two other ones. Um they, yeah, they're they're fronting on me for that, so I didn't I wasn't able to get those. But that was like the only time that I I ran <laughs> I really ran into a roadblock with the pl- Parental advisory stuff before I was while well, I was underage, you know. Right, right, <laughs> right. So that, that that was that was crazy, but uh, but uh, yeah. Man. <laughs> Your folks wouldn't buy that shit for you. No, no, no. My parents were cool with it. Oh, word. It was just yeah, but no, my mom wasn't around. Right. Because during the summer times, like what I would do is like, um, cause I just li- I lived at like right, right off of Eight Mile, right, not too far from Gratiot, so. I would just go, I would put my headphones on and just go for a walk down Gratiot. Where? And I'd go all the way up to record time when it was wow. like right there at 10 and Gratiot. Yeah, yeah, the OG spot. Yeah, the I would. Dance room and shit. So I would like make a whole afternoon of it, of, you know, doing uh, record melodies. Record time, melodies. And if I, if I was feeling really uh, chipper, I might, I might go to Hot Hits. I'd go all the way to 12 Mile. Damn. And I would and I would, and I would like walk back home with like a big old like paper bag full of like tapes. Right. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so. Crazy. And it would I would just have all these tapes that you know that I got for like three or four bucks you know. Right. All right. used and stuff you know. Yeah. That, that that was that was such a fond memory, like those summers of being able to just like carelessly walk like. Right. Down. Yeah, that was your responsibility going and buying tapes and shit. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was my big responsibility, man. It was, it was great, man. I, I remember just be, like walking through East Point, you know, bumping, you know, uh, only built for Cuban links, you know, yep. and stuff like that. Hell yeah. <laughs> and so like, like a lot of those, a lot of those tapes, man. I like bought like right when they came out, man. Yeah, I bought. I remember I used to get all that shit like the week before it would come out because I would have to go to Angot. Angot was a mom and pops distributor that was on. Plymouth, uh, Puritan, and Linwood in the city, and they would, you know, like, if it was a new shit that we, like, you know, we get our new orders at the shop on, like, Mondays or Tuesdays, and, like, a lot of that shit would be sold out by the weekend, so we'd go there to get, like, shit to get us through the weekend, and I would drive over there. It would be crazy, because, like, my Saturdays were so crazy in, like, 94, 95, 96. I would go to street corner, I'd pick up the check, and then I'd go to Angot and pick up the order, and like in lieu of gas money, they let me get like two 12 inches or a tape, you know what I mean, or a CD or whatever. But they had all Reggie Hotmix was running the 12 inch department over there, so he would always have some heat. Yeah, but all them tapes like Infamous, fucking Cuban Links, all that fucking group home. I remember I used to always get them bitches at least by the like the Saturday before they came out when they were coming out on Tuesdays. Yeah, I remember that man. Like, like, uh, like record time would always get on a few days early. Right. Yep. And yeah, I would put them bitches out. <laughs> and I'm like, I, and I'd always wait. I'd, I'd always go in. I'm like, oh man, uh, let me go see if they have it, man. Yeah, what you got? And then I so then I would take the shipment back to uh, Street Corner. And then I would go to the radio show at Beats and Breaks 
at Henry Ford, me and the homie Josh. And that would be from like one to three, I want to say. And then after that, we'd go to the fucking hip hop shop. It's fucking ridiculous. Like I would get, I would go to street corner, go to Angot, get some brand new shit that ain't nobody had. Then go to the radio show and play a whole bunch of wild shit. We were like doing edits on the computer, playing all the local shit back in fucking 95, 96, playing Fat Cat, playing Slum, all that. Yeah. And then go to the shop. It was fucking crazy. That's funny, during that time, like, I was still a teenager. I'm a few years younger than you. Yeah. And I wasn't, like, I wasn't going out to stuff underage and shit. Like, right, I, right, right. I was just, like, but I was in my own world, sort of, of that stuff, you know, based off. I would try to, like, pick up as many, you know, magazines I yeah. could, you know. Hell yeah. And figure it out. And I didn't know, I didn't know what stuff was, like, hot in, like, the Detroit hip-hop scene <coughs> thing that you were already in. Right. But I could kind of get like a you know a grasp of it. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was old enough, like I learned that a lot of the shit that I liked was shit that was super popular, because like everybody that I went to school with at East Detroit High School, they didn't listen to this shit right. that I was listening to, man. Right. They weren't listening to Capone Noriega. Right, hell no. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't listening to like Onyx's second album. Right, <laughs> they right. They weren't listening. Sleeper. <laughs> listen to all this shit and like. I'm sitting here like, oh, man, these are incredible albums. And I was just, like, in my own world, you know? Right. Uh, I remember in 10th grade, though, this was, like, this was, like, probably one of the, coo- this was probably one of the cooler moments of my high school life. <laughs> 10th grade, I just somehow got into making sort of mixtapes for everybody. Oh, word. I would just make them on, like, my boombox. Yeah, I used to do that shit, too. Like, and warm-up tapes for the, for, the, for the teams and shit, too. Yeah, I used to like make them for, but they they would just give me a you know a blank tape and a few bucks, and I would mm-hmm. just like, and they would just let me do whatever I wanted, yep. you know. Yep. And usually they were themed, like it would be like East Coast stuff or West Coast stuff or Southern stuff, you right. know. Right. And or I just they would they would they would ask me to put a few things, but then I would just fill it in with other things and. I wish I had copies of this shit because it was like <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it was such like a cool like collection of shit, you know. Yeah, but it was yeah. all like real hip hop shit, you know. It wasn't shit from the radio or anything. Right, right. And I would put people on the shit, man. Like that, that was like the weirdest thing. I dude, it's like I'm a little, it's a, I'm a little, I have mixed feelings about this now, but I feel like I totally exposed my high school to No Limit Records. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Cause I had like all those Master P tapes and everything right. before he hit big, yeah. and I was just ma- making tapes for everybody, man. Wow. That shit. And next thing I know, man, everybody was like listening to that shit. Everybody was No Limit Soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> no Limit Soldiers. It was it was incredible, man. But no, I, I used to love that time. I was like in kind of my own sort of hip hop world. What was your favorite No Limit tape? Mine, mine still is this day is uh, masterpiece ice cream man. Oh word! <laughs> I don't think I've heard none of that shit. I I really can't listen to any of that stuff anymore, but right. I can still listen to Ice Cream Man. <laughs> That's still like a really dope album to me. Word word. Like that, but that was a that was a fun that was a fun time though, man. Tenth grade, I was just making all these and they, oh and all, and what I that was back when I just had like like a stupid like Packard Bell computer right. and I had like a scanner too and I used to scan like hip hop albums and then go and like paint and like put other like 
Wow. Names on there. Wow, okay. So I'd name them, like, I'd name these mixtapes really, like, crazy names, like, <laughs> dope-ass hip-hop shit, volume one. <laughs> I would, it would be so obnoxious, the names. <laughs> That's funny. Dope-ass hip-hop shit, volume one. Dope-ass rap shit. And I would, like, like, I would take, like, the Death Row's greatest hits. Uh, put other motherfuckers' faces on there and or, shit? Or I would just, I would just keep it all and just change, just take off the Death Row part. Oh, wow. The words, and then put the, the title of the thing. Right. And, like, it took me a while to actually figure out and paint how to do it, because there wasn't any sort of rulers or anything right, to right. do it. So when I printed it out... It was the correct size for uh, a, t- a tape insert. Word. <laughs> wow. It took me a while of, like, experimenting to, <laughs> to figure that out. Damn. Man, did it thunderstorm? It did. Or, and I missed it. it God damn it. It did early on. I, I feel like like I was still asleep, but early this morning there was like thunderstorm. Five, like when it was still dark type shit? No, it was, like, later. Like 7, 8 o'clock? Fuck, man. Probably, I'm yeah. No, it ain't no thunderstorms in L.A. Shit is the fucking worst, man. That's the worst thing about LA is there's no fucking thunderstorms. There's I think, nothing out there. Like there's this one spot on Venice Beach where you go out and they got I forget what it's called, but they got like all these rocks out in the water and like when the tide comes in the waves like smash on that shit and that's like the only thing out <laughs> in LA where you can like feel like the wrath of nature type shit at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it ain't no thunderstorms. The earthquakes are so pussy. You know what I mean? Like, like everybody that's like from like here that goes to uh, that moves to LA. That's the one thing. Like every time there's a thunderstorm, man, they it's like the greatest thing ever. Oh yeah, <laughs> man, I miss my fuck. I can't believe I slipped through this shit. I should have left the window open. Just well, there really hasn't been much of that going on, <clears throat> right? This summer, uh, there was some thunderstorms. I think last weekend or the weekend before, but. We've barely been getting any rain here, so anytime we get rain, it's... Yeah, my mom said, like, there's been days where it's, like, 90% humidity, but, like, the rain falls, like, all these other places than where it needs it type shit. I don't know. Oh, yeah, the weather's been been ridiculously stupid. At least y'all got weather, man. <laughs> I know, everybody, you know, says how amazing the L.A. weather is, but then... It, I guess it gets sick. You know, you get sick of the. <coughs> well, it's Venus. not weather. There's no weather. It's just literally the same. Like, okay, fucking starting in like May. Like the middle of May, it's like the same. You got like seven months of the same day, basically. <laughs> it's just gonna be sunny and beautiful. It might be a little hot one day. It might not, but it's gonna be fucking a, not a cloud in the sky for like seven months in a row. So yeah, it gets kind of fucking boring. Like it's great, but it's fucking boring. I think the last time I was in LA, I actually thought that that rare week where all it did was like rain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, but that shit doesn't even happen anymore, bro. Like, I want to say this year is like the lowest rainfall ever. Like it hasn't rained at all in the last year, type shit. It's fucking crazy, man. That shit, that's just burning the fuck up right now too. That's yeah, there's crazy wildfires going on out there, and they're, and they're continuing to spread. Terrible. Bitch is gonna burn down. Well, we gotta call and check on my babies. Speaking of which, man, how how how's your kids, man? How's it like being a father? Man? Oh, it's fucking incredible, man. It's the best shit ever in life, you know. Ain't nothing like 
motherfuckers think making a beat is the shit or making a record. Like, you created a fucking human. I got two little humans that I created. You know what I mean? Fucking most beautiful thing ever in life. Just, I'll throw all the records in the garbage for my babies if I had to, you know? It's a blessing, you know? A lot, it's fucked up. Some people can't even have children, but there's definitely nothing. You've never felt <clears throat> love until you look into the eyes of your own child. Sounds like, you know, soft and syrupy and shit, but it's the realest shit ever. Like, I can't wait to fucking go home and hug and kiss my children when I get back. It's gonna be great. Got fucking 18 years to create a fucking adult, you know what I mean? And mold them into yeah, someone who's gonna. Upstanding citizen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Crazy. It's a blessing, man. James Neliana. My little babies. How how did you like thinking of yourself before you had kids? How did how did your like sort of thought process change? How you kind of just thought about things once you you had had your first kid, James? Uh, I'm a hard headed motherfucker. You know what I mean? It took a minute to really stop being so fucking stupid. That's what it is. When you have your children, you realize how valuable time is. Like money ain't shit. You lose money, you can get money back. You can't get time back. You right. know what I mean? And if there's one thing that shows you how fucking ruthless time is, it's your children. Because they just grow so fucking fast. And, you know, everything. There's, there's no, there's no, uh, there's so many just concrete. Like, you look at your kid, well, you got like, you, you, my, my say my son was like two years old. You know, you look at your son one day, and he doesn't look like he looked a couple weeks ago. He's not going to ever look like that again, you know? And right. it's all of these landmarks that he keeps passing, and there's no fucking turning back. Like, all that shit is gone. It's in the past. No pause button. Hell no. No <laughs> rewind, you know what I mean? Like, it's nuts. So you got to make it count. Every day, you know what I mean? Priorities. Make sure everything that you do is in the, in the best... Uh, the best benefit of, of your children and your family, you know? Is there anything that before you had kids, you know, the way you're sort of going about your life that you kind of regretted or wish you did better? Man, I'll be real with you. I wish I never started smoking cigarettes because my shit is fucked. I got COPD. I smoke cigarettes. I smoked a pack a day for like 17 years, you know, on top of all the blunts and shit. You were in Clean. times you were uh, smoking them nasty ass shit like the germs. Well, yeah, shit. I remember I had a run where I was smoking like two packs of cloves a day for like you smoked the nastiest for like shit. three months and eating like five bacon cheeseburgers from Burger King for five dollars. Just health, you know what I mean. I just wish I would have taken better care of my body because you don't, you don't. It's ain't like a car. You can, can't go get shit fixed. Right. You know. If I, yeah, my lungs are fucked up. So that's the main thing right there. I just take better care of my fucking self. I'm trying to now. You know, I quit smoking. Uh, yesterday was 11 months. Next month will be a year, so. That's good. Yeah. Still smoking weed, though. <laughs> Going back to, um, let's, let's go back a little ways. Um, to when you first started sort of, you know, stepping into the music scene in Detroit. Word up. Um, how did that all 
come? You know, how did that all evolve? Fall of 1993, I went to Eastern Michigan University, and my mom bought me a pair of house shoes. Like, <clears throat> dope. Like, black leather. Uh, what the fuck kind of house shoes were they called? Uh, damn, I can't remember the name. But yeah, she bought me a pair of house shoes, and I just wore the motherfuckers when I went to school at Eastern. I just wore them all the time. Everywhere they were comfortable. I wore them to fucking cafeteria. I wore them yeah. to gym class. I wore them to the record shop I worked at. And homies would pick me up every Friday and drive me all the way down to Detroit. And we go to St. Andrews, or we go to the Mecca, or we go to you know fifteen fifteen Broadway, and the Rhythm Kitchen. You know what I mean? It was so fresh. Like at this point in time, I was a heavy hip hop motherfucker for about. <clears throat> ten, ten years, you know what I mean? Eight, ten years. It was just so dope to see that we had our own community and dope DJs and, you know, people that came out to support, dance, like to see Ten dancing on a Friday night. He would be the first motherfucker on the dance floor at St. Andrews. <laughs> right. Wild with that big-ass hat. Yeah, and fucking, I went to Eastern. I got kicked out of Eastern, and I took all the money that was left in the account and spent that shit on records in like two or three months. It was like $3,500. Hit a couple big licks at record time, like right when somebody dropped off like mad crates. I was just there right in the nick of time and just cleaned up on a bunch of shit. Yeah. And I was at St. Andrews one night and one of the DJs got in a fight with one of the other DJs and got fired and big homie big brother Lito who was the head of security got me the job and I was fucking resident resident of St. Andrews for fucking like 10 years it's crazy how would you describe the vibe of that uh, of that time with Detroit hip hop like the the St. Andrews street floors the fun all those other spots that you mentioned how would you describe like that that vibe because that's definitely something that's in the past that, yeah that I mean it's it's cliche to say it but I mean it was fucking pure man it was pure and it was still innocent. You know what I mean? It wasn't like pimped out. It wasn't fucking. Yeah, it was just pure, man. It was lightning in a bottle. You know what I'm saying? Like those nights were so incredible. All that music and people just having fun. It wasn't about people. Everybody wasn't trying to be fucking rap stars and shit and get rich. They just want to fucking. It was that was church. I didn't go to church. I'm not a religious motherfucker. Church was St. Andrew's fucking hall on Friday nights. That was my religion. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was just it was just pure, man. The complete opposite of what this shit is now. You know? Yeah, back then like uh St. Andrews used to be super diverse too. Yeah, I mean that was why it was so fucking ill, honestly, because <clears throat> the top floor was the illest Fucking house and techno, played by the illest house and techno motherfuckers in Detroit. Huck, Keith Kemp, plus Laco. Good fucking people. And then I worked with all these motherfuckers too, like at record time and shit. It's crazy. But main floor was hip hop, the best hip hop shit, played by the fucking best hip hop motherfuckers. The basement was the same with alternative. And you just had this alchemy going on of all these people that really fucking enjoyed music. It was mutual respect. You think it might be a lot of shit popping off in a situation like that where you have three, 
completely different genres, completely different groups of people, but it was respectful. People migrated between all the different floors and became exposed to that much more dope shit. You know what I mean? Some of them might not even have thought that they liked dance music or, you know, contemporary, like, you know, Detroit techno, house shit. They, they could get turned on to a whole fucking new world and, and go and live in that world. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Why do you think that changed? Ah, money. Motherfuckers. Yeah, I mean, I remember the, I remember the night that everything, it's crazy. I remember the night that everything, not everything, but I remember the night that shit, like the last night that it was pure. The last night that it was pure was fucking the third Friday in May of 1996. I literally remember that <laughs> night because after that, it wasn't anything specific. It was just something intangible that was no longer there. You know, motherfuckers, the, the, the content... Motherfuckers was always kind of rapping about the same shit, but <clears throat> they were creating it for the sake of creating it. They weren't like, oh, I'm going to be a fucking millionaire rap star. You know, they was like, I want to make a good fucking record. But then they were like, a couple people got it popping, and they were like, damn, I could, I could possibly get rich off of this shit. And that's where, you know, the fork in the road came, where it was like motherfuckers that continued to make art for the sake of art, and it was fucking motherfuckers that decided to go for the commerce, you know what I mean, get that paper. Shit ain't never been the same. And I think, I think what, you know, after that, and what happened over the next five years or so, was that most of those people were not ready for any of that shit. Right. And they burned a lot of opportunities. Wait, who? Who you talking about? People in the city? Yeah. Anybody that was trying to make a record or anything, you know? Right. Yeah, motherfuckers just didn't know how to do it. I mean, there's a few things that happened that were incredible, but... I don't know, man. Motherfuckers just never really been... The business acumen of the Detroit rapper, the average Detroit rapper, is not the highest. It's not skyrocketing. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. No, a lot of motherfuckers just kind of always think that just because you're dope, someone's gonna come find you. <clears throat> and due to due to that feeling, like they never really put the work in. You know, they just kind of sit around, make music, and wait when they could have been. You know, but there was a couple years there, man. Like after M Blue and everything, that. There was a spotlight on Detroit, mm -hmm. and there was people looking here. Right. But just poor decisions, poor <laughs> poor choices. You know what I mean? Like, why does he got a record out? Like, you pick what? It was just so obvious the motherfuckers was just trying to find that hit instead of finding somebody who was a consistently fucking fantastic artist that could just make good records for the rest of their life. It never really happened. It was happened, you know. Royce, fucking, it's amazing. Like, a motherfucker like Royce is at the top of his game 20 years later. It's right. incredible. I'm so happy to see all that shit with Royce. He's busting his fucking ass, and it's yeah. well deserved. Yeah, and even with him, though, it was like a bumpy road for a long time. Hell man. yeah, definitely. A lot of, he was one person there was like, there was a lot of poor decisions made. Right. But he was able to eventually overcome them. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. <laughs> And he and he always had the talent to sort of stay visible, you know. Right, right. 
So even if there was poor decisions being made in his life, that he was still visible. Right. Yep. But now he's finally at a point where he's, you know, bigger than ever. Right. Definitely. Which is, which is really good to see, you know. Yeah. It's well deserved. Definitely. Yeah, I went to the show when he was out in L.A. It's fucking incredible, man. During, yeah, during that time back then, um, I know you were trying to, you know, do the uh, How Shoes Records thing, and you did put out the uh, Fat Cat record. Mm-hmm. Um, how come that never became more than that? Because uh, <clears throat> I was just having fun. I wasn't, you know, I was, I, did, I put out JDM release, uh, I was 22 years old. Yeah. Fat Cat, I was 24. I wasn't like a fucking businessman. I was fucking smoking mad weed. Getting drunk, DJing parties and shit, and that was just. Both of those situations came from. Uh, well, the first, you know, Jay, all those remixes were supposed to be released. All the labels had told him it was hoish, to a point. You know what I mean? Like, they told him that those re- remixes were gonna be on fucking singles. And like, I remember when the fucking Artifacts 12 inch came in. With the showbiz remix, and I like it time and time again. I would ha- I would hit this motherfucker up like, man, like the twelve inches here, bro, and your shit is not on it. I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, the fucking D'Angelo twelve inch, like they picked that whole ass Eric Sermon remix. How the fuck do you pick a, that Eric Sermon <laughs> remix where he's like, he just looped up? I used to love her. <laughs> like you looped up someone else's beat, and do you motherfucker? Are you deaf? Do you hear this fucking remix that Jay made for the fucking Dreaming Eyes of Mine? This shit is like some of the most incredible shit ever. Cats was just, it was just stupid. They thought it was too, the music was too intelligent for the average motherfucker and they just kept fronting on it. So I was like, man, give me that shit. We just gonna put it out. Fuck it. We'll figure it out. I never done a record, but we gonna put a fucking record out. <laughs> right. Put a fucking record out. Fat Cat shit. I was working in Melodies and Memories. Cat was like, man, I'm about to come through right now. You up there, Shoes? It was like, yeah. He came through with the tape and just I put that shit in the fucking tape deck and press play and I was like bitch gotta put this shit out yo right let's not hesitate like just like he ever made this shit like yesterday I was like we gotta put this shit out let's go yeah he was telling me that him and Jay just knocked all that shit out in one night yup yup so we put that shit out and fucking I remember talking to Fat Beats Fat Beats was like we'll take 6,000 of them and I was like man you need to take 10 yo you need to take 10,000 copies of this like it wasn't a P&D. Like, we were manufacturing it and selling it to Fat Beats. It wasn't like, you know, they were doing it themselves. No, nah, we only want six, man. I'm all right, cool. And then fucking 6,000 records sold out in 30 minutes. And it was a lot of fucking cooks in the kitchen on that. You know what I mean? It was like me. It was Gillespie. Some other cats, too. And it just took a little time to re-up. Like, that record, we could have sold... We sold like 12,000 copies of that 12-inch. We could have sold like 20, yo. Like, if they would have took 10 up front and we had everything on deck to, to have a re-up ready, like, immediately, yeah, we could have done 20. That shit would have been, could have been one of the fucking highest-selling independent 12-inches ever. It's still a damn fucking good number for independent 12-inch. I can see that shit probably in the top fucking, like, 50-selling independent hip-hop 12-inches of all time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes you just sometimes you just gotta take shit in your own hands. You know what I mean? And that's what that shit was about. It was just an overpowering feeling like this has to be done. You know, like I had to, I, immediately I was like, we can we're gonna fucking flip the use of Latif cover. It's gonna be crazy. 
He came to the crib with like a fucking ounce of weed. We smoked all that shit <laughs> quickly. Gillespie's girl took the pictures. Yeah, off to the races. That shit was fun, man. But yeah, I was, you know, I don't know why it was never anything more or less. Maybe it's a, a good thing. I wasn't ready. It wasn't time for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know after that you were trying to do an Al's High 12 inch. There was a lot of shit. There was going to be a fucking, uh, <clears throat> we were going to do this shit called the House Shoes Collection that was going to be the House Shoes Collection, which is a double CD compilation that I released, um, like CDR shit. That was fucking 2002, maybe. I was working at Jazz and Jams, maybe 2003, 2004. It might have been 2004. That was originally supposed to be a 5, 12-inch series with Fat Beats. That shit was going to be crazy. Like, we had all the records lined up. Guilty 12-inch. Fucking Lax 12-inch. Who else? Fat Killers. Yeah, that was going to be crazy. But wasn't, wasn't like, the idea was, like, whatever 12-inches, like, on the B-side or whatever, the guest appearance was going to be on the next one? Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, we had put a lot of thought into that <laughs> shit, and it just never happened. And I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to make this shit a fucking... CD comp. That was a, that was the no ties days, man. Rest in peace, Christopher Cobb. Oh, I miss Cobb, man. Man, Cobb was the shit, man. Fuck. Good dude. One of the best. No ties. Yeah, he man, he he helped out everybody in the yeah. in the city, man. Definitely. He always had a couch for somebody. Yep. Always had a studio for everybody. Yep. Yeah, he was a very fucking strong asset to the community, man. Good fucking guy. Yeah, every time I would see him, man, he'd always tell me about the first time he ever saw me. He was like, hey, who had the little white kid in the club? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because when I was first coming out, man, I looked super young, man. Right, you did. You looked super young until like a few years ago. <laughs> I still I still look a lot younger than what I am. Right. People are like, how old are you? I'm like 35. I'm like, really? Right. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, yeah, those were the days. Fuck yeah, they were, man. That that was a fun time when I was first coming out, man. Like, like, it was such. It was even even when I started. I started going out maybe to like hip hop shit maybe around summer of '98, I think. Where? Um, that's when I would you know as you know, right when I met you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were working at uh, when you started working at uh, Melodies at one of the time. Mm. One of the many times you went back and forth between <laughs> Melodies and Record Time. Yep. <laughs> Car City. <laughs> so yeah, right when I met you, Man, like Nolan passed away. You know that, right? Yeah. Fuck. Rest in peace, Nolan. All these OGs are passing. You, what were you saying? I'm sorry. But um. Yeah, that was that was such a fun time. Like even when I, like. I feel like, you know, uh, when I first started going down to St. Andrews, you know, it was, it was sort of like the ending of, like, its coolness. Like, yeah. I like to say, like, I, I caught the death rattle mm-hmm. of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I was still seeing cool shit, you know. There's some cool shit going on down there. It was yeah. a cool vibe and everything. But you could obviously see it changing. Yeah, it's suburban as fuck. Yeah. Like, but when I first started going out, man, it was, like, back in that time when you go to some hip-hop shit. And like maybe me and you were the only white guys in the place, you yeah. Know? Yep. And everything was cool, man. And then one day I looked up and everybody looked like me, and I was like, "What happened?" <laughs> Motherfuckers <laughs> don't get it. Like, what are you talking about, man? That's fucked up. I'm like, no, nah, man. Like, 
wasn't it ain't no soul in that shit. Like hip people gotta understand hip hop is a fucking black fucking music form. You know what I mean? It's a black art form. And just like that fucking Lord like Lord Jamar was right about that shit. Like we are guests in the fucking house of hip hop. You know what I mean? That's how I feel about this shit. You have to be respectful. You gotta fucking take your shoes off. You know, you gotta wipe your feet. And it's very, I was, I've always been very grateful that I never really had to deal with any of that shit. You know, that yeah. white boy shit. Like, I was accepted. Motherfuckers seen my passion for this shit from day one, and they just brought me in with open arms. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, for the most part, I, I never had to deal with that shit either. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is weird. Like, one day at St. Andrews, I remember looking up, and the crowd was all fucking white. And it was just like, man, I might not even have known why that shit felt funny to me, but it just felt funny. It's like, this ain't what this shit is. You know what I mean? Like, shit feels like a fucking, feels like Somerset right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. It was kind of a, it was kind of a cool thing because like, you remember how I was when I was younger. I was super shy and Mm -hmm. everything, but it was kind of cool going to like this hip hop shit and I might be one of only few white kids there. But everybody's cool with me, and the fact that I was the white guy there. <laughs> it's like a badge of honor kind of type shit. Yeah, you know people I mean? would actually come talk to me and stuff, because it's like, all right, you have to be kind of cool, man. Right, 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 right. If you're... That's what I've been telling motherfuckers about, this whole new Detroit shit. Like, seeing, like, white kids jogging through the projects at 10 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's weird. I told a motherfucker, like, I like Detroit better when white people were scared of it. Because if somebody was there, you knew they were there for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's just fucking weird, man. Motherfuckers jogging through the hood like the fear factor is gone. <laughs> right, yeah. The other night when we were looking for uh, a spot at uh, Lafayette, man, there was like an old white couple just sitting there. Right yep. outside the bathtub. <laughs> right, right, right. Just chilling. <laughs> fucking like 3 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? It's like, cool. It's cool though. I mean, there's two sides to every story. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm I'm glad that there's something going on in Detroit. You know, Sometimes I think it's super. I don't think it's not the shit that's going on is downtown Mid City. Like they're not fucking. They're not fixing the city. The oh. fucking hood is still fucking terrible. You know what I mean? They ain't doing oh, right. shit in the hood, but knocking the fucking buildings down, which is cool. They knocked down like ten thousand. Abandoned homes or some shit? Yeah, they knocked down a lot of stuff. It's crazy. But there's... But, yeah, there's there's not much going out to the to the hoods. Right. And from, from what I hear, there's things where it's just, like, even so, they're not letting those communities do anything. Right. You know, like, right. there should be, like... I, th- I think they're even starting to, like, you know, lock down on people that are doing sort of urban farming right. and stuff. In neighborhoods and stuff like that, wow. which would be an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah you hell can yeah. Grow your own stuff, you know, and sell it to your community, you right, know. Right, right. But that's something that I don't think they want. You know, the powers that be right. want to want to be done in they Detroit. Want to control everything, fucking cocksuckers. But what can you do? Man? What, what can you do is New Detroit. So that was the first part of the interview with uh, DJ House Shoes. Part two will be next week, uh, next Thursday. And uh, let's get to the new segment, Knuckle Up. 
All right, welcome to a new segment that we are that I'm starting off for the Fresh is the Word podcast. I like to I like to call it Knuckle Up because it's going to be a discussion about um, pro wrestling, MMA, and you know whatever else that kind of gets into that. You know, Knuckle Up is a sort of nice term, and it has even more meaning when I bring when I introduce my co-host for this particular segment. Uh, he's a Detroit hip hop artist and a longtime pro wrestling and MMA, MMA connoisseur, V Styles. How's it going, bro? Hey, what's going on? Okay, Fresh, you good, brother? Man, I'm great. I'm so excited for this because it's like... Me, I, me too, man. Been looking forward to this. Before we get into, you know, just some background between both of us, um, I want to just say why I wanted to do this with this segment with you. Uh, the on um, the first season of this podcast, my goal was to do a podcast about music and wrestling because that was the thing I was most into. But I was just ex experimenting with how to do it, and I didn't know how to at least get that pro wrestling thing into the podcast. I had a few episodes where I, you know, I talked with like um, a few uh, hip hop artists, like uh, Mr. Esquire, uh, Open Mike Eagle. Uh, Sylvan LeCue. We just talked about wrestling the whole uh, podcast. But it was just like, I want to have something on a regular basis where that's, that's diff that it's talking about wrestling, but it's different than just hashing out and bitching and complaining or whatever, you know, what all the other uh, podcasts do. And okay. the thing was, like, okay, I, I kind of I quit doing the podcast earlier this year because... Um, um, I gotten sick a little bit, so I just needed some time to because I was kind of burnt out on a lot of things. But then, like the summer got like super busy for me, so I like I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a break from it, and it was great because I got to actually like look at what I did already and kind of figure out what I wanted to do from it. But in that time, also this year, I I started getting into uh, MMA like heavy, and I'm like, yo, I want I want this to be a part of the podcast too. And then, like, and I was thinking, I was like, I'm like, how am I going to do all this? And then one day when I was at work, I was like, you know what? I'm always talking with V-Styles about this stuff, man. And, like, out of everybody that I've, I've known from, like, the hip-hop scene or whatever I'm around, like, I have a lot in common with him, and I can always talk to him about these things, you know, about pro wrestling and, you know, MMA, because you, you've been following it for so long. Plus, you're from the same scene that I, I, I came up in, in the Detroit hip hop scene. So I was oh, like, wow. and, and what I've always respected about you is that you're like super intelligent about a lot of the stuff and civil about it. You're not like these uh, internet trolls or any of these people like fly off the handle about anything, the littlest thing, you know? So no doubt, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. And well, yeah. And like, see, like I said before, you know, we both come from like the, the Detroit hip hop scene. I started going out in the hip hop scene about ninety eight, ninety nine. I'd been listening and really digging deep into like hip hop since like age eleven or twelve. So that was like around mm -hmm. like ninety two, ninety three. Uh, when did you start going? Like hit. When were you first a part of the hip hop scene in Detroit? Man, almost. Uh, ooh, you want to say the, maybe the origins of the hip hop shop, man? Like I, I can remember. You know, before Mo even had that place. So you're talking about, uh, what, 92, 93, 
You know, I, I've been around, I've been around for a minute. You know, <laughs> I, I used to roll, and, he, and he's still my brother's man. I used to roll with a crew called The Last Ones Out. Yeah. Uh, my man, uh, Lil Lewis, he used to go by Low Key. Uh, my man, uh, The Body Vagabond, Jet Black, R.I.P. Um, my man, uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a lot of people, a lot of people within the crew, man. Extended branches of, of the last ones out, but you know, I, I, I back then, you know, you, you're part of a crew. You know, cause last ones was like a, you know, before we all knew who Wu Tang was. Last ones was kind of like a, a Wu Tang, like a Detroit version. Right. Um, I was the guy that was not necessarily the confident guy. You know, I knew I wanted to do something within the scene. But I didn't know that it was going to be rhyming, man, because I used to be around heavyweights, man. These dudes, you know, you'd be around Low Lewis, you, you, you'd be around Pop Squally and Jeff Black. Right. These dudes were kind of like, they, they'll make you scared to rhyme, like literally. I used to see <laughs> I used to see contests that uh, my man Low Key used to judge and Eminem used to be in. Right. So you're talking about, so you're talking about a lot of years, man, so... You know, I, I, I've grown with this scene really from the from the very beginning. Right, and for and to put it in context for you know people listening, like during that time, that uh, early to mid '90s time of you know places like the Hip Hop Shop and the Rhythm Kitchen and uh, St. Andrews, uh, uh, Three Floors of Fun. You know, this is where pretty much everybody that's a who's who of Detroit hip hop you know, got mm-hmm. to start with, and and everybody was I, just on. I, I, look, I remember, I remember when, you know, me and Mike became cool. You know, he he, he was a cat that, that was working at Tell 12 Mall just like I was. A lot of us met at Tell 12 Mall. I met, I met uh, the Mighty Vagabond. His name is Lorenzo, but I met him at, at Tell 12 Mall. I met Mike. At Tell Twelve More, I remember Mike before Mike became DJ House Shoes. Right. So, you know, if, if that gives you any idea, that's how long. Right. Yeah, and th- and this is this is the scene that birthed the likes of Jay Dilla and Eminem, uh, Slum Slum Village, man. So yes. many, so many cats that were grinding their, you know, grinding at that time, and it was just every you saw all those people together, you know, all in the same spots, yeah. you know, and. It, and it's crazy to see where all these people have gone, you know, since that time, you know, and that's, you know, that's yeah, where we, man. that's where we came from, you know? So I feel like that, I, that's the, that, that's the fun part about it, man. Like them dudes, you talk about the proofs, you talk about the, the, the bartends, you know, them guys was friends. So yeah, we, you know, we're, we're lucky, man. We, we've seen this, you know, grow from, from infancy to where it's at now. Right, and the reason I want to bring this up is that I feel like the the sort of generation that we came from in the Detroit hip hop scene is very. There's things that that we seen and learned about as that community that really relate to things that I'm seeing now in the indie uh, wrestling community, and no and then things that parallel into other things within you know fighting and wrestling. Um, so, and that's another reason why I, you know, wanted you to do this, uh, podcast with me is because, you know, we, we have, there's something really unique from coming from the Detroit hip hop scene 
from that time that I feel like, you know, a lot of other people, you don't necessarily get elsewhere, you know? Um, yes. Yeah, and it's like, and, and another reason too is like that I, I wanted you on this to do this uh, podcast with me is that aside from that you have a really I feel like you have a a really unique perspective on life because you come from that hip-hop scene you're um you're a black man from Detroit and Detroit's a very mm-hmm. unique city uh that's mm-hmm. gone through a lot generations and generations of just craziness and things that are sort of Kind of like a Detroit is kind of like the the a microcosm of a lot of things that has happened throughout the the nation. For oh, in, indeed, Absolutely. so I like and you've had your and we'll, we're going to get into this also soon. Is like you you had your uh, you know your definite brush with death also. So that's you know, oh, so that's a definite uh, great perspective. But then also there's this other side. You're a U.S. Marine. And that's is, and put all this these things together, man. And you, I feel like you have a a perspective that's on, on life and society that's very relevant today. You know, with the way the race race relations are going, even with like the the whole um, you know uprising with like the Colin Kaepernick incident thing and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and I feel like you have all the you know these great perspectives. And I and what I want to do with this segment. And this podcast as a whole is like take those perspectives and you know and filter them through hip hop and MMA and you know pro wrestling and sort of you know find that there's these other meanings in all of this that isn't just about punching people or other stupid shit you know <laughs> right right so that, I agree it, with that. yeah definitely um uh, so um to kind of, you know, get into more of like the, um, the wrestling and, uh, MMA talk. Um, and like I said, um, told you before, um, I wanted to, you know, just kind of talk about how we, you know, both got into, uh, you know, being a fan of, you know, pro wrestling and MMA. Um, I mean, I know with me, the pro rest, the pro wrestling side runs right into the MMA thing. But for me, my my early thing, my early years of liking wrestling when I was a kid, it's just like any other kid growing up in the '80s. You know, you just you know you thought all those guys were just amazing. You know, like Hogan and King Kong Bundy and Ultimate mm-hmm. Warrior and all those guys. You know, so you just started, and then, and around the early '90s when I got into hip hop was also kind of like when I got away from wrestling for a few years, mm-hmm. and then. And then, like a lot of people, I got back into it during the the rise of the NWO and WCW, and then the Monday Night Wars between the WWF and uh, WCW. And then you had ECW, like in that whole equation, also. So I was really into it at that time. But then when, uh, but when WCW went out of business, and then and WWF bought them, and then when ECW uh, got bought by uh, um, WWF, th- uh, that 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 was. That started to like sour me into it all because that whole thing of you know that whole thing that's that part that's what I like to call it. Yeah, that whole part of the of wrestling history was terrible. It was like it really ruined the business for a lot of people for a while because it was just like 
uh, this is like kind of corny what they're doing to these products that they bought and it was, it, yep. it just didn't it just does it just didn't like sort of um you know feel well to it, it wasn't good it, it wasn't good entertainment anymore so um and then throughout the years after that uh, I kind of stayed I, I stayed kind of at arm's length to it all but through fr- like a friend of mine uh his name's uh, Tony Sackick. He st- he continued to watch it uh, over you know over all those years for the most part. So I kind of was always I I knew what was going on with uh, the rise of CM Punk and the rise of uh, Daniel Bryan, um, and then other mm-hmm. you know other cool things that were kind of going on. He kind of kept me in the loop about that, but I wasn't really back into it until probably the past uh, year or two. But um, how did how did you originally get into uh, to being a pro wrestling fan okay um okay you know like when you see me i'm gonna ask you what about me when you see me as far as like when you know when you see me when i as far as like when you always when we always out i always got like on some olive or cat or camouflage yeah i mean you always got camouflage on man You, you say what about it? You always have your camouflage on, man. Okay, let me tell you where that comes from. When I was like, when I was a shorty, man, um, and I wasn't necessarily a huge wrestling fan back then, but there are certain people who I, when I would see, I would light up. I was a huge Sergeant Slaughter fan. Right. So when he put, so when he was beefing with the Iron Sheet back then. Like, that was, like, the biggest few... I mean, Hogan was the man, but that Iron Sheik, uh, Sergeant Slaughter feud was the, really the start of me kind of, like, watching wrestling, but I still wasn't familiar with a lot of wrestlers. The only ones that I really knew was Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, the Iron Sheik, and Nikolai Volkov, man. So um, my knowledge about wrestling back then really... You know, it, it it was nothing. You know, I just wanted to see Sergeant Slaughter. So I can remember my mom <laughs> knowing that I was, you know, a fan of Sergeant Slaughter, and she bought me my very first camouflage shirt, and she had Orlando, like, uh, embroidered, um, you know, you know, on the shirt. Right. And I would never take that shirt off, man, because it was like when you when you got somebody you look up to. You know, it's, well, I ain't gonna say look up to, but when you're a wrestling fan, you try to, you kind of become that. Right, right. Um, I kind of died down a little bit, man. Like I said, I really didn't, um, my wrestling knowledge wasn't the best back then, but, you know, it's one pivotal moment where uh, me and my mom, my mom, uh, you know, coming up as a shorty, man, I was kind of like, you know, I was abused. Okay. And, uh, I can remember uh, one day going in the room and trying to find, you know, just trying to find a happy place, like Happy Gilmore would say, just to yeah. get out of the funk of, of what my mom had just did to me. So I sit down, and I got it's a black black and white television, thirteen inch. Uh, no, no, uh, we had to use aluminum foil, you know, on. on on the antennas, we had to use vice yeah. grips to change the channels. Right. Back then, we only had 
2479-2050-62 and little channel that you really wouldn't know of, channel 38. Yeah. You couldn't really get a, you couldn't really get a, a, a good, you know, you could see what was on channel 38, but it wasn't like super clear. Right, right, right. Well, one day, you know, I, when I was, you know, trying to come out of my funk, you know, I see a show called Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah. And, and... In the ring, it was Dirty Big Slater, and you know he was the North American champion, and he had this chick by the name of Dark Journey with him. And like I said, I'm looking at this man as a kid. I'm all messed up. I'm sad. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Then I see a young tall dude come through the ring by the name of Jake the Snake Roberts, and him and Jake, you know, they had they 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 little promo on the ring and. Then they get to fighting, and I'm I'm looking at this. I'm still sad, a little messed up, but what my mom just did to me. And I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this, and um, Jake started getting the best of Dick Slater. So Dark Journey, who's a woman, threw something in Jake's face. Now I don't know who these people are. <laughs> but I just know I know they wrestling, and I know it's wrestling, and I know it's the organization I never heard of before. But I'm looking. I'm I'm just looking at it. So when she throws this substance in, in Jake's eyes, Jake can't see. And Dick Slater, you know, he was all, you know, Jake Jake had smashed him, so he was kind of like out of the ring and trying to recover. Jake got up, grabbed the closest person next to him, and that's the first day I've ever seen. That, that, was, that was the beginning of what I like to call the origins of the DDT. Right. You know, I've seen Jake Roberts. PDT this woman in the middle of the ring. And at that, and I know this might sound a little sadistic, but as a kid, at that moment, after the shit my mom had just did to me, I think him DDT a chick in the ring. Now, sadistic <laughs> as this sounds, at that moment, I jumped up in the air like, yes! You know, and, and you know, I became not necessarily a wrestling fan that night, I became a Jake Roberts fan because for that moment, just for that moment, that time, it got me out of my funk and I was happy as hell saying, you know, I mean, of course, you're not with the abuse with women or anything like that, but at that moment as a kid, I said, I wanted to do to my mom. I can't even front. Right. You know, because of, you know, what had happened. You know, my mom used to do some crazy shit to me, man, but um, yeah, and that's, uh, that's kind of like what, um, yeah, it's kind of like what, um, like wrestling has like that, that, that has kind of fulfilled to people is like, yeah. you, you kind of get to do Look, the, you kind of get to see the things that you right. want to do, Boy, I'm sorry. but you can't <laughs> or you exactly. won't. Look, and, and after that, every week I became the big, biggest Mid-South wrestling mark. So if you really... You know, yeah, it was early WWF days, but I didn't get in tune until I discovered Jake Roberts way before he was in the WWF. Um, every week after he DDT, uh, Dark Journey in the Ring, I would tune in same day, same time, same channel, not, not hoping to see, you know, the other wrestlers. The only thing right. I cared about was seeing Jake. So with me tuning in every week, I've started learning 
the other wrestlers, like, you know, you want to go JYD, you want to talk about Ted DiBiase, you want to talk about, like, Terry Taylor before the WWF put that horrible gimmick on him, the Red Rooster. <laughs> right. Like, I was a huge Mid-South wrestling fan. And from Mid-South, branched off to Florida. From Florida, I branched off to the NWA. Yeah. In NWA, I branched to world class. From, from the world class, I branched off to Mid-Atlantic. You know, I I am what you call, it's like I watch everything. I knew about a lot of wrestlers before they got to the WW, uh, the WWF. And think about this. Wasn't no internet back then. Right. Wasn't no internet back then. So, you know, if you was a wrestling fan, you had to call these wrestling 1-800 numbers. <laughs> yeah. What was going on. And it might cost $5 a, a minute, you know, but you keeping up. You know, as far as what's going on, man. So I watched, I watched all the organizations. That's how really I became a wrestling fan, man. And you know, uh, yeah, it's easily I've watched wrestling consistently, consistently since. Let's see, just to be one hundred percent honest, I think I watched wrestling consistently since '86. Okay. I don't think I've had a break. <laughs> like, my, my days would, would revolve around watching wrestling. Weekends, mornings, 11 o'clock, boom, I'm watching WWF on, on, on uh, Channel 50 or Channel 2. Same thing, you know, on Sundays, because they used to run repeats of, of, of what happened on Saturday. Um, Monday night, I used to watch Raw before it was Raw. Like, Vince, it took Vince forever to figure out how he was going to introduce his product because he had like a he had like this it's almost like he had like this show that was it, it would have wrestling on it but it was almost like a Johnny Carson um, style shut up yeah you know him and Lord Alfred it'd be it'd be I, I forget what they used to call it it's like Tuesday night wrestling or something like that but it'd be set up like he was in the studio you know he'd be talking to Lord Alfred all, all the time like like Johnny Carson would talk to Ed McMahon. It was set up like that. And that was corny. So it took them a minute <laughs> to figure out how they was going to do, you know, what it is we see today. Right. And, like, kind of you know, going back to the uh, to the thing that I was talking about before, about kind of wrestling lets you sort of unleash that sort of thing in you that you don't necessarily can do, but you can kind of live vicariously. Um, yes. I re I, I remember um, it was on it was on one of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcasts. He had one of the old uh, um, commentators from I think Mid South Wrestling on there, and he was talking about back in the seventies, um, mainly I think I think it was back in the seventies and stuff. And this is back when wrestling is totally kayfabe. You know they uh, they they guarded that with their lives. You know. He used to he used to say that like down like in um down in like Memphis because of wrestling and you know and you'd have these uh these events where you what you'd have like twenty thousand people or something in an arena. He said because of wrestling, crime and domestic violence were were down like huge because of that. Because everybody was able to, because people were able to get all their shit out at the uh, wrestling event, you know. Jerry Lawler would piss these people off so much that 
they got everything they got their shit out you know <laughs> at these yeah, events you know right so that you know that's like one of the coolest things about wrestling is that you can it, it's 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 a you able you're able to let some things out as a uh as a fan you know you can live vicariously you can you know tap into something that you normally wouldn't be able to tap into in regular you know everyday lives as being a wrestling you fan know, you, you know what's real though what's wrestling that wrestling fans and hip-hop fans are the same people in my opinion they are i you know not everybody but we're we're different, man. We're, we're I think we're special, man, because people think we crazy. Because you know, <laughs> first thing a person says is, "Oh, why, why you watch that fake stuff? Why do you, you know, why do you watch that fake stuff?" Well, just like the head, man, we love what we what we love, and I don't care if a person tries to down talk it. That's my escape for two three hours. Right. It's it's what we call, you know, women. If women have soap operas, that's definitely a man soap opera. Right, right. And I have, no, I have no problem telling the person, like, look, man, you know, walk home on the night, man. Hurry up and do what you got to do. You got to be <laughs> by eight. You know, I, I, plan my, I plan everything about around the things that I love. You know, wrestling is definitely there. Right. And, like, and right now we're, there's this, I, I feel like there's a really, it's a really great time for wrestling, especially, like, mm-hmm. on the, the uh the indie circuit because the things that are being built right now on the indies feel exactly like how things used to feel for us like in the hip-hop yes. scene you know yes. as as much as the internet like wrestling community can be like totally negative and super crazy if you go to these actual events whether it's uh aiw in cleveland or aaw in uh chicago um, even XICW here in our uh, Detroit area, like everybody. You want a Ring of Honor this weekend? Is it a Ring of Honor this weekend? Yes, there is a Ring of Honor uh, in Dearborn. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it this weekend um, for that. But every time you go to any of these things, pe- these are people that want to be there, and and you can build with these people, and it's it's super cool, you know. And everybody, and you start making friends. And there's people that come from out of town to these events, and it's super cool, you know. Everybody's super positive with each other, you know. And and then also on these indie events, like the wrestlers are just th- right there, you know. <laughs> just like how the Detroit hip hop scene was, man. They're just there, you know, and you can go talk to them, you know. And it's it's super. The, the the vibe is so awesome, you know? Yeah. That, and that's exactly why I say we special people, man, because the people that go to these events, the people that tune in to these events, this is what this is who we are. And there's there's no shame in, in the things that, that, that we love, man. So I'm a I'm a I'm a rock with wrestling the day that I die, man. You know, I, I don't think you know, my son is kind of like, uh, he's not like how I was, but he's gradually getting there. He got his, he got his favorite guys, but, you know, it ain't like how I was, but he, he's getting there. But, yeah, you know, we are a special group of people, man, and, uh, you know, I, 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 w- I wouldn't change it for the world, man, because that's my escape. Right. You know, you can have... You can have bullshit going on in your life, man, and then wrestling come on, you forget about that shit two, three hours. I still might be there, but for that two, three hours, you know, you in a whole nother place. So, <laughs> right. so 
I'm okay with that. Right. We need an escape every now and then. Okay, yeah. Now transitioning into how um, you know, we got into uh combat sports, uh MMA and stuff like that. My story with that actually comes out of uh my my last relationship uh it's been two years since i got out of this really terrible relationship um it was ruining my life like you know i don't even like and i it's so hard to describe what it was but it was ruining my life you know and like my parents had to basically pull me out of this shit show that i was in the middle of and um after i got after they got um after i got out of that I was just sort of rebuilding my life. And one of the first things that happened was I really got back into wrestling. And um, mm-hmm. one, one, of the, one of the ways I got back into it is, for, is through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Lane Weiss. Uh, she's, oh, okay. Yeah, she's super, you know, she knows a lot of the wrestlers, been a fan for a long time. But, like, uh, becoming friends with her, I started getting back into wrestling super hardcore. And what happened mm-hmm. was... I got past just the WWE stuff, and and that a lot of people and see that's the key to. I don't mean to cut you off. Oh. that's the key to it. You know what? We go we go diving this too. See, and that's similar to MMA, but right. That's the key to it. You got to know everything that's going on. You just can't watch one source and think that what it is. You got to know what's going on. I like to be well knowledge on on you know the things that that I love, man. And, it's good to hear you say that you start, you know, because of that, you start watching other stuff just so you can get a feel on, you know, the, the, the thing that you love. Because, you know, it's always stuff on other shows that you're like, wow, I wish the WWE did that. Or, you know, you just start having appreci- a whole different level of appreciation for wrestling, just period. Right. Because the, the thing that I've always been about, the thing that I do not only as like a music writer, but just being a, a fan, is that when I when I like something, I like dig dig really deep into it, and then started going off on the whole the whole spider web of it all, you know. And that's what I did because mm-hmm. when I came back to uh, uh, watching wrestling, a lot of the top guys were all these indie darlings, you know. Yeah, you, you know, like Daniel Bryan, um, and you had a. Uh, towards the end of CM Punk and you had all these guys you had you had Seth Rollins and and mm-hmm. and Dean Ambrose these guys you know made it on the indies and I started like watching all this stuff and like but then this this is the thing that transitioned me into like an M- MMA was when I started watching New Japan Pro Wrestling and uh, yeah. I started picking up some stuff on there and Around that time also is like, and this is like, I I will totally admit this, that when getting into the uh, UFC, like all the, throughout all the years, I knew about all the, you know, the big names that kind of transcended the sport. Um, they, they were also, they came into the wrestling um, companies also, like the uh, Ken Shamrocks, uh, Tank Abbott, um, uh, King Mo, your boy King Mo, uh, you know. <laughs> And even guys that were like, you know, sort of part of pop culture, like uh, Chuck Liddell, and you know, guys like that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and the, even the, like the the late great Kimbo Slice, you know, I knew about these guys, but I never got around to actually paying attention to it, paying attention mm-hmm. to it. But I'll totally admit that I totally came aboard the whole 
Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor hype train. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I was on there and, and they mm-hmm. piqued my interest, you know? And so I started checking those, you know, checking them out. And I was like, okay, this Conor McGregor guy is fucking hilarious. <laughs> right. he, he took, he took, he took the, he took the whole wrestling playbook, you know, he took the wrestling playbook and totally, and then totally built himself and sold himself. Mo's been saying for the longest, you know, yeah, you fight, but it's definitely entertainment involved in that. Oh, so definitely. You know, people wonder why they can't get no money and they complain about what they make in and da da da. You know, when was the last time you you seen the interview and you heard, you know, you know, my boy complaining about something? And it's because he understands what you have to do. Uh kind of understand that. Right. Sell Sonnet 100%. Right. Understands that you have to be able to sell yourself as a fighter and to be able to sell yourself, you know, to the fans and you're not a champion. That's something like it's either you got it or you don't got it. But I'm sorry, man. Again, I cut you off. Oh, no, no problem. And the thing was, is like, um, I, I, my, my, my interest in the UFC and MMA as a whole, like, kind of peaked with, you know, started, you know, peaked with those, uh, with Ronda Rousey. And uh, mm-hmm. Conor McGregor, all the hype around that. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, but this is what really like totally locked me in. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go. I'm gonna go back to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I started watching mm-hmm. the New Japan Pro Wrestling shows that were on Access TV that were um, with commentary from Mauro Ranallo and uh, uh, Josh Barnett. Mm-hmm. Watching those, those guys were just dropping so many nuggets of information about just the history of MMA. Um, the history of pride, uh, history of what's going on with uh, UFC, and I was just like, mm-hmm. it really like interests me. But then you also had had someone like uh, Sakuraba who was wrestling in uh, New Japan at this time also, and he was such a big and huge figure uh, in Japan. He's he's the god. He was the, <laughs> like they said he's the Babe Ruth of. Uh, he was the Babe Ruth he's of. Still, look, he's older. He's older. He's still. He, he's like. Like him to me, him and Juice and Thunder Liger on the same level. Right, these guys are yeah, they're incredible. And that was one. And once they started, once they started, you know, putting those things together, I started, uh, you know, searching other things that they were talking about. Um, Sakuraba's uh, matches, including you know the the very famous ninety minute match with uh, Oyce Gracie, and I'm just like. Yeah, this is fuck, and I'm like learning more about the Gracie family. And I've always heard about the Gracie family too. That's something that you can, mm-hmm. they that that name always kind of comes up if you're anywhere near fighting, wrestling or fighting or anything. You know, that name pops mm-hmm. up. You know, so but I would if there's one person who got me into MMA, I'll have to say it's Mauro Ronello. He really. Got it. He really got me into it, you know. And then I was so happy when he got hired for uh, by WWE to do SmackDown because I was mm-hmm. like, he mm-hmm. really sold it to me, and I was like, he made it feel very exciting, you know. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm at now is is that I'm super excited about all this because of Morrow. And I now I listen to his podcast with uh, Baz Rutten, and I'm like, I love it. They, I'm hearing so much good stuff, and they drop so much not yeah so many. <laughs> Yeah, Baz Rutten, like it was just like so. There's so much. There's so much knowledge that they're dropping. They're so 
you know, very, you know, passionate about it, that it got me into it, you know? So that's where I'm at right now. Like, how did you like get into, uh, you know, watching MMA? Okay. Um, I go back again to when I was shorty, man. Um, uh, I took Taekwondo at a young age and, you know, you, you still, you know, growing up in it, you, you, you stop for a while, you go back, stop for a while, and then you start doing other things, man. I also wrestled, you know, when I was younger, man. And I never, you know, back then, man, you know, you talk about, like, mixed martial arts, like, you, we didn't have cables. We didn't know about the stuff that was going on, like, overseas and stuff like that. So my first introduction to it was the very first UFC 1. Me and my dad ordered that. Um, I, I don't even know if it was called pay-per-view back then. It might have been satellite. But right. Me and my dad ordered that. And we watched, we sat up there and watched the whole, you know, event, you know, from a big fat dude uh, losing to a super small guy, to a <laughs> boxer coming out with one glove, to, to seeing for the first time a guy literally choking people out with his with his geek. Right. And that's and that's Hoist Gracie from the, the world famous Gracie family. Um back then, you know, it wasn't any rules. It wasn't like it, it's back then it's kinda like how, you know, Bruce Lee would call it Jeet Kune Do, where you take, you know, you might know a lot of different styles, but you take only the important parts that effective for you and and use it in a style to where it's free. So if I'm a wrestler, I might use my takedowns to set up my grounded pound. Or if 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 you're a boxer, I'm gonna set up my jab to take a takedown in wrestling or throw in judo. Yeah. Like everything was about using, you know, mixed martial arts. Man, you, you may have one one style, but you know you, you would have many styles. You know, because you, you just can't these days. You just can't have one style and, and be successful. Um, UFC turned into like a circus. You know, we we were definitely impressed by the first one. After a while, you know, I, I won't front. I uh, kind of lost love for it because you know people weren't you know taking it seriously. It was almost like a, a side show to a lot of people, like a cop fight. Right. So. In the late 90s, um, early 2000s, one day, um, I turned it on, uh, I forget what I was looking at, but one day I turned it on the TV and I see this crazy looking motherfucker with, with a bald head, <laughs> uh, smiling at his opponents, not necessarily the biggest guy, but he was just fucking crazy. His name is Vanderlei Silva. Right. Um, I started watching, I started, and that's similar to Jake. I mean, even though there's no story behind it, um, I started watching Vanderlei. Like, I was a huge Vanderlei Silver fan, so I would tune in to all his fights. And so I can remember when he smashed Rampage the first time. I can remember when he put them knees on him the second time and had, it, and had him limp under the second row. You know, saying that for a reason. But um, <laughs> I remember... Um, you know, Alistair Overeem coming up as from a middleweight to fighting that light heavyweight to seeing him, you know, where he's at now. Um, I really, you know, 
I fell in love with the sport again. And for me, it was, again, MMA people, you know, MMA fans, MMA, uh, pro wrestling fans, like, if you like that type of stuff, you know, you, you, you're a special person, man. Especially, like me, I try to be very knowledgeable as far as, like, I know what, what style a person is. I know what a person's setup is. I know how they are. You know what I'm saying? Um, I became uh, just obsessed with mixed martial arts again. And it almost, you know, it kind of saddened me. I'm like, man, I wish this shit was like how it is back then. If it was, like, my life could possibly be different if my if this, if MMA was like how it is now structured, yeah. like back in the early 90s. I may I may have fought because I love I, I I love fight man. It's nothing like pugilism man. It's nothing like it's just nothing like doing you know. And, and it's all with me. It's all respect. You know, you, you're not going out there trying to street fight or anything like that, man. But you just want to see how good you are and how good your skills are. You know, compared to the next man. But I wind up you know becoming obsessed with the sport, and of course, like. Even with hip hop, I always say I'm I'm a fan first. But I can remember, um, I try to stay, you know, just like just like us when, when we know about wrestlers before the mainstream people know about the wrestlers, like you were saying, Daniel yeah. Bryan and, and, and Seth Rollins. You knew about them before they hit it big time. Well, I used to um, I used to wrestle, so I'm familiar with a lot of wrestlers you know i was familiar with Dane cromier i was familiar with mark coleman i was familiar with mo lawal uh, because i'm a you know not pro wrestling but you talk about collegiate wrestling world yeah. wrestling freestyle greco roman like that's my thing i really love that so when mo left oklahoma uh state and he started competing, you know, wrestling-wise or overseas, World Championship, Pan Am Games, and stuff like that. He transitioned into MMA, but he started in Japan. So I used to follow Mo when he was in Japan, yeah. you know, just as a just as a fan. I think Mo had, like, three, four professional fights back then. And I can remember when he got signed by Scott Coker and Strikeforce. And I'd be, you know, definitely a fan. I, I would always tweet out, you know, like this dude King Mo, you know, just with his raw wrestling skills. Because you, you are what you are. You know, he's a wrestler first. And, and you know, he, shortly after that, he got his boxing off. So he's like the wrestler striker now. Yeah. But I started following Mo, you know. Uh, did you, did you kind of did you want me to kind of like tell the story? Is that cool? Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I started following Mo as far as like his fights. I used to um my boy uh, rapper Big Pooh from the group Little Brother. Yeah, and, and dope dope solo artist as well. Um, he used to do and he still does that. He just does his podcast style now. But he uh used to have this blog. It was called Pool on Sports. So you know. Like, we got real cool, you know, the music is, of course, nothing, but we got real cool. He was like, V, man, you know, could you do this boxing MMA segment on porn sports? And, you know, just kind of like, just do you. Yeah. And it was right up my alley. So I started writing about, I think the first article I had was 
uh, about, um, you know, uh, Scott Coker had just signed Mo. Mo had, he, he debuted at heavyweight. He wanted, he knocked the dude out. I think Travis Wolf, I think that's who, who it was. But his next fight was against, you know, at that time, top three guy in the world in Strike Force Light Heavyweight Champion, Gegard Musashi, you know, now UFC fighter and UFC contender. Um, I think at that time, Musashi only had like two losses. He had like 32 victories. It was something crazy. <laughs> Moat only had like four, four or five professional fights. Yeah. So I looked at a lot of tapes on Gegard, and I said, Mo's going to beat this guy with his wrestling. So when I wrote that article, I wrote an article that weekend for what people should tune into, you know, for that night on Strike Force. And I predicted Mo was going to be Gegard. I was one of the few people that predicted that. And sure enough, Mo wound up beating decision, five-round decision. And that's kind of like what put him on the map winning the Strike Force uh, world title. And uh, that's when we kind of started communicating via social media. And, um, you know, we, we just started vibing toward each other, man. And he wound up defending his belt in Houston against this dude named Fajal. And something happened, you know, during this match where his knee had buckled. And I see it, especially, you know, I'm a wrestler. I, I see stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't wrestle now, but in my mind, I'm still a wrestler. So you see certain things. And he wound up losing his title. But I hit him up like, you know, I still rock with you, man. But, you know, something happened in there, man. What happened to your knee? And he direct messaged me his telephone number. And that's been my brother ever since. And, you know, we start, uh, you know, I've been with him since then. And you're talking about probably seven years now. So I get a chance to really, like, you know, my relationship with him is, like, real personal, you know, but he, he respects me enough to where, you know, he depends on my knowledge. You know, he, he'll ask me a question. I'm I'm always 100 with It's like he's right. always 100 with me. Yeah. And that, that's, how, that's how our shit works, man. And I learn a lot of stuff but just from the back of the scenes, because I see a lot of back of the scenes stuff now. Yeah. But, you know, that's how, you know, I I was already a fanatic about it, but now I look at the game totally different because I see a different view. So, yeah, man, I, that's really ha how, how you know, our relationship, you know, happened, and it's still going strong, you know, years later, and we're going to be in Ireland on December 16th, ready to knock out issue. Yeah, man. Yeah, that just got announced today. Uh, King Mo's going to be uh, headlining the Bellator uh, event in uh, Ireland. That's going to be crazy. Man, look, initially he told me Italy. Then, I, and then you know, when you hit me, I'm like, well, that says Ireland, man. <laughs> Come to find out the Italy car got scrapped. So, you know, today... You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I'm still, you know, we still doing the, doing the thing, man. You know, he called me. He was like, you just be ready. You know, he's like, man, we go go. I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm geeked. I'm looking forward to it, man. But I, you know, um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's going to be business, but it's going to be fun, too. Great. Yeah, I can't wait to hear hear everything about that, man. First podcast after that, man, I get to talk to you. Man, we were talking about that. Word, man. Look, <laughs> look, man. Mo was here a couple weeks ago, man. I, I, we had a, um, it was a 
Pro-Am MMA event up in Traverse City, man. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing came, you post uh, about that. He came up here um, to, you know, be special guests up there and see his boy rock out, man. So, yeah, I, I, me and Gov wound up doing the show up there, you know, shortly after um, the MMA card um, went off. But yeah, that, that he, uh, he in training now. And uh, like I said, we getting ready, you know, to sink that ship when we get over there in Ireland. Right. There's a couple things that are, before we close out this first edition of, uh, of Knuckle Up, uh, there's, there's a couple more things I want to talk, talk to you about. Um, you just were, you know, kind of talking about sort of how the UFC and mixed martial arts were at a certain time, uh, back in the mm-hmm. day. Um, recently, uh, Rory McDonald, you know, signed with Bellator and, mm-hmm. uh, during that time, at, at that time, uh, another fighter, uh, um, Matt Mitri- yeah, excuse me, Matt Mitrioni, he he quoted uh-huh. saying, "You'll be happy here in Bellator. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like what it used to be." You know what does he mean by that? Exactly. Well, um, UFC fighters, um, like you, well, I'm not gonna say UFC fighters. MMA fighters have a window. You're only gonna have a certain amount of time is made to make as much money as you possibly can, especially right. in a combat sport. One punch or one kick or one move in your career. So the goal is sure you wanna you wanna win championships, you, you wanna do all the you wanna get those accolades, but most importantly you wanna make as much money as you possibly can. Right. UFC with the monopolizing, this in my opinion, I think they kinda like you know, I, I, I don't want to start no waves and that because I know it's a podcast. But, <laughs> you know, um, the whole Reebok deal, like, to me, it, it's disrespectful, man, because in between fights, like, fighters don't, if you're not, I'm not going to say star quality, but if you're not that name, if you're not that Conor McGregor, if you're not that Ronda Rousey, if you're not that Anderson Silva, the little guy may be getting five grand to show up, five grand to win. And then if you're a new guy, if you got one or two fights under the UFC roster, you're only getting twenty five hundred dollars. That's what? Twelve fifty? You know, uh, excuse me, uh twelve thousand five hundred. You right. know, if, if you you show up, you win and with the rebox, that's not that's not a lot of bread, bro. That's not a lot of bread to risk your life. You're ri- every time you enter the cage or every time you enter the ring, you're risking your life. Right. And what Matt Matrioni was saying is Bellator, you know, Bellator is owned by Viacom. They're not a private company like the UFC used to be. I mean, now that they have, you know, these new owners. But Bellator has way more money, you know, to... you know to do what they want but the problem is UFC have a lot of fighters locked up and it's a lot of fighters that are not happy and they want they work and the UFC is not they're not going to necessarily try to bend like if if you're not making nothing from it like Conor gets away with murder because Conor brings numbers Ronda Rousey gets I'm not going to say she gets away with murder because she really hasn't done anything um except not being in the cage for a year and getting the title <laughs> shot at a Paul return, which is bullshit. <laughs> if, you're not one of, if you're not one of those type people, 
people, then you're not going to get your way. They look at you as as expendable. We can get rid of you and get somebody else that's going to appreciate this twelve fifty that they go twelve twelve thousand five hundred that they go get. Training camps cost more than that, right? So imagine, imagine. I just gave you those numbers, and your training camp costs ten G's. You know, and your fight is not three months away. You don't have any like. Generally, sponsors keep fighters afloat until their fight right. comes, and then you know it, you may you may pay back all the stuff that you owe. You still got a little bread left to your next fight. With with, with UFC doing that with Reebok. It takes away a person. Like, how do you how do you live? How do you live if you? They expect you to live off that, and it's it's just impossible to do that. <laughs> and like right. Bellator, like even when UFC allowed sponsors, they had a sponsor tax. So let's say if you got a clothing company like Tap Out, and they want to give you fifty grand. To wear their stuff in the cage, you got to get approval by UFC, and you don't get that whole fifty grand. They they get like maybe thirty, forty of it. So that that fifty turn into ten, just to, just so you can get that money. And now you you paid the UFC the sponsor tax. Well, in Bellator, that fifty grand is yours. Right. You don't pay a sponsor tax. You don't pay a sponsor tax. So when you see all con, Condom Depot uh, com, and when you see um, Mitsubishi, when you see all this stuff on personal trunks or, or they hats or when they come into the ring, I mean, or cage, that's all the people that's sponsoring them people. And that's, that's really the bread that's keeping them afloat from fight to fight. Because if you're not on the upper echelon of names, you're not making that type of money to survive from fight to fight. Right. So I just think the UFC is just taking advantage of their fighters. And if people want to be happy, you got to go who's going to pay you the most. Ultimately, you know your work. You know your work. Like Lorenz Larkin. I hope Lorenz Larkin gets paid. I really hope that he gets paid, man. His, um, you know, he had his last fight against Magby. Magby, number seven dude in the world. Lorenz Larkin been working a long time to get to the status of where he's at. And he's still not known like I think he should be. Right. You know he's a, you know he he's a good kid, man. I hope he gets paid. I hope I hope Scott Coker and Bellator offer that dude something he can't refuse because he's still young and he's a great fighter, man. And he's a good dude, man. From what I can tell, he's a good dude. Great. But it's it's when you try to monopolize things and control things, you know fighters need to be smart, man. You know young fighters don't get that. They just see UFC and they think that's MMA. MMA is not just UFC. It's UFC, Bellator, 1FC, Legacy. Uh, you got a lot of promotions out here, man. You got, uh, what, what, what's the one uh, overseas, o- over, in, over in the UK? You got Bama. You got, you got a lot of, you know, you got a lot of organizations. But because, and, and now we got the, the rise of Rising again, the Rising Federation. Right. That's the old pride. You know, they're, they're trying to bring back how, you know, Pride used to be because they're unhappy of how UFC, and this is not a, a UFC bashing. This right. is more so just being 100. You know, I, I love the UFC like everybody else. 
But the UFC is not the only game that's going on, man. And I'm telling you, the more fighters Bellator get, you know, like Roy McDonald was just the first thing, man. This other stuff is coming, but I can't speak on it. But it's going to be some stuff that's coming. And it may seem kind of like, well, why is this happening? <laughs> you know, but Scott, Scott Coker, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it 100 with you again. Fabricio Verdum, although he started in the UFC, you know, Fabricio Verdum got known again for being Fedor and Strike Force. Right. Middleweight champion, Terod Woodley, comes from Strike Force. Light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier, comes from Strike Force. Ronda Rousey comes from Strike Force. I used to watch Ronda Rousey before people didn't even know who she was. Right. I remember when she was fighting 145 and didn't want to fight Chris Cyborg and quickly <laughs> went down to 135. <laughs> See, people don't know they don't know their homework. Like I was, I was there when that stuff was happening. Right, you and know, and, recently, uh, and recently, uh, and recently, Cyborg's been, uh, wow, and recently, Cyborg's been, uh, uh reminding people of that. <laughs> yeah, I was, look, I, and she's not lying. She is not lying. Man, look, I see the stuff that go, you know, they go on backstage and stuff like that, and you know, like I'm, you know, I met Mo when, when Mo was in Strike Force, you know, so I'm kind of like this. I'm a, I'm a Scott Coker dude. I like that guy. Right. You know, uh, Luke Rockhold, Strike Force, Jacare, Strike. I can go on and on, but not. But people wouldn't know that. They would look at the champions now and those names now, like, oh, they're UFC people. Mo Easley could be in UFC. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, he don't. He I ain't gonna say unfortunately. You know, things didn't work out between, uh, you know, him, him, and you know the promotion. But he's found happiness. You know, in, in, in another way, and he's okay. He he ain't. You know, I think fans sometimes, man, get it misconstrued. You you never making it, and most matches <laughs> a lot of these dudes, right? You know, behind closed doors. You know, and that's why when Gegard Mousasi fights and he beats somebody like Vitor, you know, I always remind people, Mo beat him in only his fifth, sixth fight. <laughs> and that dude was world back then. I'm talking about he was top three light heavyweight back then. Right. So he's a, he, he's always been a smaller guy. That's why he's fighting that middleweight now. Right. Yeah, man. It's all politics. It's all politics and bullshit, man. It's politics and smoking mirrors and all that. <laughs> man. It's just I, I hope you know. I seen something today where Dana say if Ronda get a belt back from Amanda Nunes, then she's gonna fight Chris Cyborg, man. And I think that's. I think that's bullshit. Well, where are they going to fight? Are they going to fight at 140, or are you going to say, hey, come down to 135? Right. You, know, you, you haven't explained that. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Yeah, and they I... They're going to run from her. Yeah, I, I totally have mixed feelings about all of that, because it's like, first off, I'm like, okay, so she gets a title shot after losing and being away from year a year. Before last November, bro. She's fighting again December 30th. Name another fighter that gets to take a year fucking <laughs> off and comes back and immediately gets the title shot. If anybody deserved that, you know who deserved that? GSP. GSP held that brand down. If he decides to come back, which I heard that he's trying to come back, but again, you know, that you, that, that Reebok sponsorship is messing everything up. Fighters know, real, the, the real fighters, they know they work. And he know his work. So, you know, I think it's uh, um, politics. It's yeah. politics. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think this is all. Politics, man, <laughs> this... you, know, you say one thing and then you hear Dana say something else. This... Yeah. Like, eh, but who else can take a year off and then they first fight back? Or we gonna give you a time shot? Nobody. Yeah, it's 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 the jig. <laughs> it's the jig going it's on. Not, right. it, it, it ain't fair that none of the none of the chicks that have been busting their ass off, man. Um, Pina. I think Pina deserves a shot. Like oh, a definitely, of, definitely. Here's the thing: she's taking a year off, and the women had evolved. Oh, so definitely, definitely. I think Amanda Nunes got a good chance of beating her. Right, a lot. If she, if, so many of the women have evolved. On, you know, it's going to be a wrap. And trust me, these girls they prepare for that armbar. When it comes to her, <laughs> I, I think they have they have vision quests now, man. They 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 got like. Division is so focused on not getting caught. Not like six be training for Ronda Rousey without even trying to train for Ronda Rousey because they know, well, eventually I might be fighting Ronda. Right. You know, so they train. They they might train for that shit for ten fights, and you know, trust me, they know what they know when it's gonna come. Man, women have evolved, man. I, I, you know, I love, uh, I, I love it, but it's just a lot of politics, man. I'm, you know, I'm. I don't want to necessarily hate on Ronda Rousey, man. I just think she's a product of a good machine. Oh, definitely. You know, product of a good machine. And, you know, I had Seth going to rip it. When once you put a person in front of her who knows how to strike, we go see her get exposed. And that's exactly what happened. When I, I was watching Holly Holm when she was in Legacy. And yeah. when she got signed by the UFC, I was like, that's going to be the chick that if she fight Ronda, that's the right fight. Right. You know, to see her get exposed. And sure enough, that shit popped off. Yeah. You know, so women have evolved. So I, ho- I hope she's serious, man, because you can't go in there half-assed, man, because you get your head taken off. Yeah, and definitely, the um the women's side of MMA has, re- is, I-, I really enjoy it. Like, I really enjoy a lot and of the I'm fights. Um, they've definitely evolved. And, but, and the whole Ronda Rousey thing, I think, and I think it was like, um, almost that needed thing that to happen, though. Kind of like, it's kind of a bad analogy, but it kind of works. How in hip hop we needed Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. We, yeah. We needed. Yeah. We needed certain doors to be broken down, and I think with Ronda Rousey, it uh, it inflicted that sort of popularity to where any female, any woman uh, fighter that was even thinking about it, kind of started to get their game up, and it took a little while, and it's starting to evolve at a better pace now. But it was kind of a much needed thing to happen. Yeah, I, I like to I like to use this analogy, even though they're quite um, different in contrast. Um, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was the most feared dude on the planet. Yeah. Until people now, it may not have been a hundred percent Mike Tyson. He he may have been messed up mentally, or his head was somewhere else. But until he lost that fight to Buster Douglas, even though. We all don't look at it. You know, I still look at it like the longest 10 count of all time. <laughs> um, and for real, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> but um, until he lost that fight, now you got people stepping up saying, you know what? I can do that too. I can do that too. So I think I think Holly has, has uh, gave people a lot of hope, man. Right. Like, like they ain't scared now. You take the you when when like you know now like you usually fear the unknown 
and you had never seen Rhonda go through, you know, something like this. Now it's like, if she did that, I could do that too. So, you know, I, I just think it's going to be a hard deal for on, on December 30th. And if it ain't on December 30th, then if they really make that Chris Cyborg fight, that, that's going to be the retirement party. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, and kind of to close out things, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, recently sort of um, Ryzen. And how it's sort uh-huh. of like bringing, uh, you know, the the Pride Days back. Um, I've seen stuff online where people um, like what Ryzen's doing. Then there's other people that have mixed feelings about uh, Ryzen sort of, uh, you know, you know, sort of uh, piggybacking off of sort of the, the the Pride legacy. They would say, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Um, similar to um, professional wrestling. In order for wrestling to be healthy or, or in order for MMA to be healthy, you need competition. Right. I have no problem with Ryzen because, first off, the, the owner of Pride is the owner of Ryzen. Well, the, the guy who started Pride owns Ryzen. Yeah. So we've seen what he does production-wise. We've seen the type of shows that he do. Um, there's no reason for Japan not to be one of the leading markets in mixed martial arts when you have a lot of people today watch UFC strictly on the on the basis that they inherited pride. They inherited that brand, they inherited those fighters. Yeah. So you got you got pride loyalists that basically transition to the UFC. In order to to know the value of everything, man, you just need healthy competition. How you know, how good are you really, you know, as a promotion if you don't have this person over there and you, or this promotion over here and you're not trying to outdo them? Everybody try to one-up each other. Right. So it's only going to, you know, you, most people that criticize Ryzen, they don't, you know, and I hate to even be like this, but most mixed martial arts fans and most boxing fans don't know shit about those sports. <laughs> Period. They, I'm just being real. That's, that's the shit that Roger Mayweather say. You know, y'all know shit about boxing. That shit be real. You got casual fans. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, it's cool because the casual fans, you know, they spend the bread. But do they care about, like, I care about the details to everything. They don't care that. They don't care about that. They just want to see people get knocked out. And that ain't what it's all about. You know, so, you know, you just, you got to do your history, man. But it, I don't think, I think the WWE got watered down when there was no more NWA or there was no more um, WCW. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, that's, why, that's why TNA was cool. Because it was another alternative. That's why the Ring of Honor is cool because it's another alternative. That's why New Japan Wrestling, who've been around for the longest and, you know, one of the longest running promotions of all time, that's why it's cool. You know, you, you need to know. It, it's always good to have competition, man, because it ain't going to do nothing but make, make you, you know, step your brand up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just to cl- just before we close out this uh, this segment, um, one thing uh, about the the, the recent uh, Ryzen event is I saw, I was up late watching the, watching this live when I was ha- it was happening, mm-hmm. and 
I saw one of the most amazing things ever with Crazy Horse Bennett. <laughs> yes. Look, 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 look. I've been rocking with Crazy Horse since the Elite XC days. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and, and this is when, um, like, Crazy Horse used to be on CBS. Like, Crazy Horse has a, he has a history, man, with MMA, man. A lot of people may not remember um, Charles Bennett, man, but people that love MMA and, and are aware Oh man, we got we got love for felony, man. You know, it's just like, you know, I hate to put it like this. It's like one of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> you re- you know, he, he really he, is, dog. You don't you don't know you don't know what's going to like anything can happen in his fights. Man, I remember. I re- look. I remember when KJ Knowles got signed to Strike Force, and he was, um, you know, you could tell they put a, little do- a couple dollars behind or They was marketing him. And stuff like that. And first fighter he fought was Charles Bennett. And, you know, I forget who the announcers was, but, you know, they're big enough KJ knows, man. And then all of a sudden, Crazy Horse hits him with his right hand and knocks him <laughs> the fuck out. And after the fight, you know, he started, you know, doing backflips on top of the cage. And, <laughs> like, his interview, like, his interviews are it's just like, wow. Like, he just did that shit, man. Like, yeah, he he, he gets it. He's, the, he's one of the dudes that, when I say gets it, as far as entertaining, he out there trying to entertain and whoop your ass at the same time, man. How do you not love that? That Yeah, that was one of the most amazing things I've seen all year. It's like, you know, he's look, coming. And, look, and, his, and his win... At, at, at Rising, you know, I, I've been following, you know, Charles, man. And, you know, he's been, you know, he's been fighting in, in uh, you know, smaller promotions um, down south in Florida and stuff like that, casinos. But you could see, you could see that he felt like this was like his second chance. And he took advantage of that, man. Like, he got a seven-second knockout, man. I, I mean, and, and, and the interview... After that is one of the is one of the coldest things I, I mean <laughs> I, like I, I like to laugh and dude crazy horse gave well he like to call himself felony now but yeah he gave one of the craziest interviews like ever a couple weeks ago man I, I hit him up on Facebook man and uh, we, we we laughed a little bit man but good for him man you know that that dude got rolled off man so I, I'm I'm happy to see he winning right now. Yeah, everything about that was great. Just uh, uh, his entrance to the ring, just the way he carried himself. He was, man, he was, uh, you know, jawing back and forth with Silva. <laughs> you know, did, you see, did you see the stuff? You see, you know, I, I, you know, with me, I like, you know, I, I told you I got back into the sport because of Vanderlei. Yeah. But, I, but I'm a fan of Crazy Horse. Right. And, I mean, you know, that, that. It was like one of them things like, wow, is this really happening? So to see all the video and him going back and forth calling them candy legs. <laughs> God, that was great. Man. I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. This is one of the best moments of the year I'm watching right now. I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, I did not expect this because I was like. Oh, exactly. <laughs> That was happening in the middle of the that's night the here. Thing. That's the whole thing with Crazy Horse. Oh, my you goodness. Have to expect the unexpected. 
I was like, I'm just like watching it. It's the middle of the night here. Like I'm, I just couldn't get to sleep, and I saw people tweeting that Ryzen was on. So I, I you know, I, I caught the stream of it, and I was like, I'm watching all these. Uh, there's this other match between two women, and the and the and uh, the winner won like a year supply of ramen noodle. The big, the big Brazilian. <laughs> no, there was another one. Um, I think there was another fight. Um, before that. Where there's uh, two women, and the winner uh, won a, uh, I think a a year supply of ramen noodles. Oh wow! <laughs> and, wow. and I'm like, what am I watching here, man? I'm like, and I'm like, what am I watching? And then like, um, and then the 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 crazy horse match. And I'm like, oh, look at this guy. I'm like, oh, okay, this this dude seems cool. And then I'm like, he knocks him out instantly, and then cuts his promo. I'm like, what did I just watch? This is amazing. Look, look, did you, did, hey, but look, did you did you see when he was like, it looked like he was, I hate to be like this, but it looked like he was, uh, he, he was jacking off and he was smiling and he, he fell to the camera. I said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and the Japanese fans ate it up. They Dude, ate it up. They love that. How they, do you not like, how do you not like Charles Bennett, man? Yeah, the Japanese fans yeah. love that stuff. They love yeah, they, I, they love when everybody's when they ham it up out there, you know. And that's what that's what I really liked about. And I, and I watched uh, you know a lot of that show, and I'm like, I I really like this product, you know. I I, I really enjoy watching this Ryzen product. It's they you know yeah. they, it's a big production. They ham it up a lot, and it's like everybody in you know the crowd was really enjoying it. So I'm like, yeah, I def I definitely yeah. like what they're doing. You, in, in in order in order to you, you got to have other competition out there, man. You got to have other stuff out there in order to survive. Otherwise, how do you know what the fans really want to see? How do you know? You, like you got to everything. You know they may try to be gentlemen. You know as far as the public, man. But everything is competition. Oh yeah. So you know. You 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 gotta have that healthy competition. Without that healthy competition, nothing exists. That's why that's why I took the WWE a minute to get back on. You know because they didn't have that that healthy competition. If it wasn't if it wasn't for you know just certain polarizing characters, who knows where the WWE might be right now, man? Because I, I still like to say Stone Cold Steve Steve Austin, man. They really he was the dude. I mean, a lot of people like to credit Hogan for it, but, but the turnaround, you know, just in my eyes was Steve Austin and The Rock. Oh, definitely. You know, Without a doubt. Definitely. You know, you, know, you know what's dope about that? You know what's dope about that? Steve Austin's career started. I would say literally started because, of course, we know the Hollywood Blinds with him yeah. and flying Brian Pillman and the U.S. titles over when he was in World Championship Wrestling. But the Stone Cold Steve Austin, as we know, yeah, didn't really start until he beat Jake the Snake Roberts in the Royal Rumble. Oh, definitely, definitely, and he he just cut that awesome promo, and exactly. and and it it flew, it just went it just started to build after that, and he I, look, I, it was I great. Asked Jake, when I seen him a couple of weeks ago, because I you know that I, you know me and you were talking about this like one of my like biggest things ever was to meet Jake Roberts and, you know, just tell him my story, you know, why, on why I'm a fan. Yeah. And I brought, I brought that up to him, man. I was like, dude, you, you know, you're literally behind a lot of people that people don't understand like what your connection to him. I was like, 
the 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 Steve Austin that we know didn't start until after he beat you in the Royal Rumble. And he was like, Yeah, I know, I know. You know, he kept hugging me and like, I know. <laughs> yeah, but that that's that that that's real. You know, that's one hundred percent real. So them dudes, man, they it made it more than just wrestling. Because I can remember not even caring about watching the wrestling. I just wanted to see what he was going to say every week. Right. Like, you you would tune in to see what Steve Austin was going to say or what The Rock was going to do. Like, because I can remember when, when I remember Rocky Maivia's first match. It was a pay-per-view. Yeah. And motherfuckers wasn't really buying it for his product. He used to had white boots, and he had the whole... They was trying to do the whole Peter Maivia yeah. uh, third-generation thing. And, you know, us wrestling fans, we know. Like, get that shit up out of here. We don't, don't put that <laughs> shit down our throat. It was, if, it, if it wasn't for him, I don't know who idea it was, but if it wasn't for him joining a nation and then we seeing the personality that this dude had, where would The Rock be? Right. <laughs> He probably wouldn't be the highest paid actor in Hollywood right now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you just don't know. Because they were trying to push the third generation thing down our throat. But we wasn't buying it. But then when he became this cocky asshole on the mic and just would say shit, and you did, you're like, damn, this motherfucker really said this shit. I, I, I literally remember for a moment, not watching wrestling for the wrestling. I just wanted to hear what Steve Austin was going <laughs> to say and what The Rock was going to say. Of course, yeah. you're still watching the wrestling, but you tuned in for it because you wanted to see what these motherfuckers was going to do, man. Right, and yeah, real and if you really and if you go back like now and really break down some of those matches during the Attitude Era, there was a lot of shitty matches. Man. <laughs> but. Man. But it didn't matter because everything around it was so good. Yeah, exactly. Man, look, I, that, that's some of the best kind. Like, the Nation of Domination times and, and early Stone Cold. Look, I remember when that, when the, remember when the WWE, well, when it was WWF, they brought him in. He was uh, Ted DiBiase's uh, understudy, and they called him the ringmaster. And he had right. a buzz cut. We knew who he was. We knew who Steve Austin was because of the Hollywood Blinds. Like, if you're a wrestling fan, yeah. you knew he came from WCW. So, looking at him, seeing him with a buzz cut with the Million Dollar Championship, it was like, nah, we ain't buying that shit, man. <laughs> no. Then, when he came up with that gimmick, man, like, man, there was, for me, easily some of the best times ever in, in wrestling, man. I To not watch wrestling, to watch wrestling not for the wrestling, was was just it's like how did you get over on me? Your personality got me. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah, that that that, that shit is real, man. I, I them dudes, man. I fucked with Steve Austin, man, because you know where he comes from, man. He a straight shooter too. Right. Yeah. And, and how do you not root for somebody like The Rock? <laughs> right. Definitely. Definitely, man. <laughs> he is an ultimate good guy, man. That dude does. Every, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's some things he do wrong in life, but as far as what I see, he does everything right. You know, so that that's, you know, and even even John Cena. I mean, I'm not the biggest John Cena fan. I I, I like John Cena. I respect John Cena. No, I'm not going to say I'm not the biggest John Cena fan because I am a John Cena fan, yeah. but he's not my type of, of wrestler. Like, I like dudes that, 
you know, fuck all that smiling. You got to have something extra for me to root for you as a good guy. Because I'm not like one of these good guy dudes. I like, you know, I'm an AJ Styles type guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> well, cool, man. This, this is... Yeah, we talked for a while in this first segment. I think it went very well, you know, for uh, for the first time. I wanted to get, like, a nice intro for both of us into it. Uh, Indeed. So, yeah, it was great to, you know, to launch this new Knuckle Up segment for uh, Fresh is the Word with you. So, you know, again, thanks, up, <laughs> thanks for, you know, thanks for chatting with me about all this stuff. Um, Is there, um, you know, tell, tell everybody where they can catch you online, your Twitter or whatever, you know. Oh. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Um, you can hit me up on, um, I got a verified page on um, on Facebook. You can uh, you can hit me on um, Facebook forward slash official V-Styles. And you can hit me up on, uh, on Twitter at V-Styles, V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z. And the same thing on Instagram, V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z. But on Facebook, it's official V Styles. At, you know, official V S T Y L E Z. You know, I, I'm always uh, I'm using my social media platform. Uh, I'm a peaceful dude. Don't bring no bullshit to my page because <laughs> I have no problem blocking you. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm always, I'm always, uh, I'm always on. So if you want to shoot me some, man, shoot me some. I'm all about peace and happiness, man. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, you can agree to disagree sometimes, man, but as long as we keep it classy, man, I, I, I respect everybody's opinion. Definitely, definitely. That's about it. See you next week. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.